Land Conquest. How to evaluate land. Now this is a very important section of the training program. Evaluating land is one of the most important skills that you can learn and it will lead to success in many parts of your land flipping business if you can do this part right. So this is an extensive video, uh, not very complicated, but it is a little bit extensive. And we go through different ways uh, that you should be looking at these properties in order to properly evaluate things. So let's get into it. Now, first of all, uh, there are some important considerations when you're looking at these properties. First of all, we are interested in the access. We're also going to be looking at the topography, wetlands, flood zone, landscape, and other factors. So let's just jump into it. The first thing I looked at when I'm evaluating a property is the access. Now, there's a number of different types of access, so we'll go through them one by one. Now, the most desirable access and probably one of the most frequent that you'll find is road frontage. As you can see in this slide here, we've got a uh, property. The parcel is obviously that we're looking at is outlined in red. And the property itself is right butted up against a paved road. So this is a paved road. It's a public roadway maintained by this county or the, the state, uh, one of those types of things. But um, when it's got road frontage and access like this, this is the most desirable situation. Obviously, it's very easy to identify if it's butting up to a road like that. So that's uh, one of the least complicated situations when it is butted up to a public road so it's got road frontage. Uh, the next thing I, want to thing I want to talk about is a dirt road access. Now, in some of these rural areas, dirt road access is very common. Now, it's not as desirable as a access on or frontage on a paved or public roadway, but some of these dirt roads are public roadways. They're just not as desirable as something like a paved um, and well-maintained pub public roadway. In this particular example we're seeing on the north end of the property here, that's a dirt road and it's got, it's got access on that dirt road. Uh, there's a very small point that comes to the end of a, uh, to a paved road, but it's not, uh, not accessed there. So dirt road access is, uh, is definitely fine. It's just not as desirable as paved roads. Um, the next one we're looking at here is uh, physical access. So this is just another way to define the access that we look at. So if it's got physical access, meaning that you can see on a map that the there's a way to get to the property, whether there's some dirt road or there's a path or even road frontage, that would be considered physical access. Now, if you're looking at a satellite image of the property and you're not seeing anywhere where there's any paths or any roads or anything going to a property, that would not be physical access. Um, so uh, we look for physical access first, and then we try to confirm that the access is deeded. So you can find that out in a number of ways, and it does get a little bit complicated, but sometimes you'll find something like this map that shows up here, and this is a parcel or plat map survey of the property. Um, depending on the situation, uh, it could be noted on the map that shows going through someone else's property to a public roadway. It could say, oh, 50-foot easement or 20-foot wide path or whatever the case may be. Also, on the deed itself, it will note that uh, if there is deeded access uh, in a lot of cases. So the access may say something on the deed like 
in perpetuity, there will be a 30-foot deeded access to this property for ingress, egress, or utilities. And uh, so you're looking for that type of language on the actual deed legal description. Sometimes you'll see it referenced, uh, note, um, you know, any, any encumbrances or any um, things mentioned on the survey on, that was done on such and such date by such and such surveyor. And then you would pull up a survey that would look like this, and then it, it might show the path on there, and that would be considered deeded access as well. But access, uh, in order to be a legal access, it needs to be deeded in some way, and it uh, can't just be some sort of path that someone has been using all this time. Um, okay, so uh, this comes up quite a bit, um, maybe not maybe not very frequently, but access that is deeded, but there's no physical access. So this is a situation that comes up sometimes. Basically, it shows on a map where there should be access, uh, you know, a survey or something like that, or on the deed, but then you look at the satellite images of the property and you don't see any physical pathway. So yes, the property has the legal right, uh, you have the legal right to access that property in that particular area, but there's no path cut through the trees, there's no path cut through the brush, there's no roadway or anything getting there. So uh, it is a situation that can be worked around in some ways, but it's not as desirable as having uh, like a deeded access where there's actually a road that leads to the property. It's just an extra layer of complication. Uh, now this is, another, uh, this is another thing that comes up quite frequently as well, and uh, that would be landlocked. So this would actually not be access, but it's in the access category because that's what we're looking at here. So if a property is landlocked, it is not accessible um, by means of a uh, easement or it's not located on a public roadway. So basically, it's an island in between other landowners. So uh, depending on the state, you may have some sort of legal right to get to your property. But in most cases, you're not going to have the right to do much with that property as far as the restrictions generally will be placed on you, whether you could build on the property or use it for any sort of other purpose. Uh, sometimes you can still access your property for agricultural or recreational purposes, but, uh, but you're going to have, in most states, you're going to have problems building on the property unless there is actually deeded access. And then states have... Uh, you know, all, all states have different rules when it comes to a landlocked property. Some states have some things in there that say, hey, you can't have a landlocked property. And there's a procedure to go through in order to make sure that that access is established through a neighboring property. Uh, some states don't have anything like that on the books. So you need to be able to look into those sort of regulations on a, a state by state basis. And uh, the best place to find those types of things is Google. Now let's get into topography. Topography is one of those things that we look at right away after we look at the access. And obviously topography is the shape of the land. It could be flat as we see in this photo. So uh, this satellite image, flat topography would just be obviously, it's, a, it's just a flat piece of land with no hills or anything. Uh, then we see a rolling properties. Now rolling properties are hilly in a way, but uh, you know they are not just one big hill. It's ups and downs, so that would be considered rolling. And rolling topography in a lot of areas uh, can be considered very desirable. Sloped. Obviously, a sloped property is a steep property. It might be on, on a side of a large hill, could be si on the side of a mountain, or just some sort of land feature where it's, it's, uh, it's not 
flat by any means. Uh, so sloped is not as desirable in most cases as a flat or rolling property. So you just have to take that in consideration when you're looking at the values of the properties. Hilly. Um, hilly would be, I think, on a higher level than, than um, you know, some sort of uh, rolling property. So hilly would actually be large hills that are on the property. And, uh, you know, obviously each property is different, but this would be a kind of an example of a hilly property. Uh, streams and rivers. Um, obviously, this image that we have here, the property is butting up against a stream or river. But a stream or a river could be, um, you know, any sort of topography on the property that that is not, uh, you know, is not actual land and it's just uh, water in some way. Now, wetlands. Uh, wetlands is another thing that we look at when we are evaluating these properties. This is one of the major categories that we look at. There's an overlay if you're using land ID uh, to determine if there are any wetlands on the property. So wetlands kind of vary in different types. Uh, the first one, it would be ponds. Obviously, everyone knows what a pond is. These, uh, It's a smaller uh, uh, body of water, not a lake. <laughs> a lake would be a very large body of water, but uh, generally a pond would be a smaller body of water. Could be formed naturally or could be a man-made pond, but it's just a, just a pool of water. So we see that frequently on properties. Uh, another uh, form of wetlands are marshes. Marshes, as you can see from this photo, uh, kind of look like that. And it might be, uh, you know, these areas, many areas have um, wetlands of some sort and marshlands are a pretty common type. Swamps. Uh, swamps are a type of wetland as well. Those are obviously found a lot in the south. You know, obviously when you, we talk about the bayou, that would be a lot of swamp land down there. But it's a very, very common type of uh, wetland in the southeast with its own little ecosystem. And bogs are another type of wetlands. Now, bogs are uh, maybe another Another for another uh, term for swamp, but uh, they are common in some uh, certain areas. So important things to think about when we're talking about wetlands. Now, wetlands are generally not buildable, and disturbing them aside from some very unusual situations is pretty much impossible. There are typically building setbacks from these areas as well, so you want to keep that in mind. So you probably have to have someone determine, if you have wetlands on your property, you probably have to have someone come out and actually determine where the wetlands are. And then the building codes for that area will determine how far you have to be away from those wetlands in order to build on that property. And then wetlands are mostly only used for recreational purposes. You can't really do much about wetlands or change them in any way. FEMA flood zone is another important consideration when we are evaluating properties. So FEMA stands for Federal Emergency Management Authority, and they put out maps all over the country of which areas are typically prone to flood uh, in the event of heavy rains. Now, FEMA does designate these areas, and that's why these are called the FEMA flood zone. And the maps are maintained by FEMA and adjusted as needed. So this does change over time. FEMA classifies flood zones into various categories based on how likely they are to flood. Some areas are every 100 years, meaning a 1% chance of flooding in every, any given year. Some areas are every 500 years. Now, that's that would be a 0.2% chance of flooding in any given year. And some areas are known to flood regularly and have different designations. 
Building in a FEMA flood zone is possible, but it is usually more difficult. Insurance is also going to be more costly in these areas. So some solutions for building in these FEMA flood zones are building on stilts. Uh, sometimes you can also import soil into these areas to raise the ground level. And then you could also build on build your home on a raised foundation. So the regulations are different for area and the solutions of potentially building in these areas are different for each area as well. But one thing to note is that having being within a FEMA flood zone is not uh, not a positive thing when you are looking at the buildability of, of a certain property. It makes things more challenging, not impossible, but more challenging. And on land ID, this is what it's going to look like if you're in a FEMA flood zone. Uh, there's different these different colors that you see are going to be different um, different areas, different uh, levels of FEMA flood zone. Um, you know, normally the checkered type areas are regulatory flood zone, meaning that pretty much any time it rains really heavily, it's going to flood there. Some of those other areas outside of that would be flood zones that are either 100-year or 500-year type flood zones. Now let's get into landscapes. Landscapes are basically the type of vegetation that you see on a particular property. And farmland is obviously a very common one that we see in certain sections of the country. Farmland is very easy to identify because there are crops growing on these areas. Now, depending on the area, the crops are going to be different. And some seasons, they obviously do not plant on those properties. So they plant in a certain time and then they harvest in a certain time. But generally, you can tell pretty quickly if a property is, a, is farmland on any of the satellite images. Uh, next, uh, next, a common landscape variety is a meadow or pasture. And as you see in this photo, there are animals kind of grazing in this meadow. And it's a clear property, but not really being used uh, to grow crops in more of a grassy type areas that are sometimes are just being used by animals to, to graze and uh, they're not producing any crops. Forested. Forested is another very common type of landscape that we see in many areas. Obviously, the forested properties have large trees and they are different maturities and sometimes different types of trees depending on the area. Some areas have hardwoods, some areas have pine trees, and some areas, sometimes there are mixed forests as well. And then in some areas, forests are actually used as a kind of an agricultural crop. They may be planted um, you know, all in pine trees and harvested every 15 to 20 years, depending on what is uh, suitable for the area. Desert's another type of landscape that we see quite a bit. Now, desert, depending on the region, uh, might be a very common, might be the only type of landscape in a particular area. But uh, that's generally a, a different type of landscape than you'll find in other parts of the country. Overgrown brush. Uh, this happens quite a bit as well. Now, that varies from area to area, but in some areas, overgrown brush means kind of an overgrown forest. Some areas, it just means brush, you know, types of bushes and things like that that are um, completely taken over a property and and, uh, and are not, you know, obviously cleared in any way. Then we've got another type of landscape that comes up in some areas, and that would be clear cut, meaning there was a forest there. A logging company came in and 
cut the entire forest down and they may or may not have replanted the trees. Sometimes uh, sellers will sell their timber to a logging company. The logging company will then clear cut and they'll, they'll get the proceeds and the money from that. And then they will just sell off the land because it's of no use for them at that point. Another common landscape variety would be mountainous or rocky. Obviously, in this photo here, you can see there's rocky mountains in the uh, in the frame here, and uh, you can't do too much with these properties. So uh, while they may be beautiful to look at, um, limited limited uses for sure. Uh, other things, landscape varieties would be water features. Obviously, in this photo, we've got we've got a large uh, creek or stream. Um, any other water features would be ponds and, and uh, lakes, things like that. So uh, then it's moving on to other factors to consider. Now, these would be negative factors that we want to take into consideration when we're evaluating property. Obviously, they may not be factors on the property itself. Um, in this situation, messy neighbors is, uh, is something to be concerned about. Now, if your neighbor looks like they've got this type of setup at their home, it's probably going to negatively impact the value of your property because uh, generally you're not going to find people that are going to want to be beside something like this. Also, another negative factor to consider would be being in a commercial area. If you're a residential property in uh, bordering a commercial area, it can be a negative thing. Now, some people may view it as a positive, but in general, it's not. So in this in this photo, as you can see, this property uh, we are assuming is a residential property, and it is right next to all this uh, commercial activity. And, and then when I say commercial, it looks like industrial-type commercial, which is not very desirable to be next to. Another negative factor to consider when you're thinking about uh, evaluating a particular property is the crime in the area. Now, certain pockets have high crime, and then obviously people don't want to live in areas where there are high crime, so that negatively impacts the value of a particular property. Um, and the other thing that can uh, come up sometimes is that you are close to a disruptive business of some sort. This property is close to some sort of disruptive business. could be something like uh, anything from a crematorium to a landfill or dump. Not many people want to build a home next to a crematorium a landfill, a dump, junkyard, anything along those lines. Uh, another negative uh, factor that should be considered is previously mined. Now, sometimes you'll run into this where a property was previously mined for, uh, for a variety of different things, and then it's the land is left in a, in a condition something like this. This would be a very ex extreme example, but sometimes on a smaller scale, you'll see things like this, so big pits dug in the ground or something like that. And that is obviously a negative factor to consider on a property. Sometimes you'll run into properties that have abandoned oil wells on them. Now, abandoned oil wells would be considered a negative. Um, obviously, they're not producing anything anymore, but you're left with the kind of infrastructure from that previously uh, producing oil property. So something like that is not uh, a complete red flag, and it's common for some areas, but it's not a positive thing either. The other thing that can happen sometimes, or the that would be in, considered a negative, if you are on a freeway, or may, if the property is on a freeway or major roadway, um, things that uh, are negative about that, or the 
lack of privacy and obviously all the noise that comes with that. So if you're going to be putting up a billboard on the property, maybe it's a very positive thing. But as for a residential home site, that would generally be considered a negative. Another negative factor that we see sometimes is being beside a cemetery. And sometimes um, it's not a huge negative because there's it's a nice neighborhood and it's just the, the cemetery is part of the part of that neighborhood, part of the charm of it, I guess you could say. Uh, but in a lot of cases, you're going to find a smaller pool of buyers that would be interested in building a home right across from thousands of older residents that are living there for eternity. Large power lines and gas lines. Now, this is a negative factor that we see sometimes as well. So these large transmission lines, as in this photo here, um, are, are a big eyesore. And, you know, there's been all kinds of studies that show that they could impact negatively your health by living close to something like that. So you're going you're gonna to find that, uh, that to be a negative. You can see them sometimes on things like this. You can see where these large power lines are by looking at these satellite images. As you can see, there's this large swath of land that looks to be cleared cutting through the property, and that's generally either large power lines or underground gas lines. Some positive factors to consider that would be in the other category would be a view. Obviously, if you've got a great view from the property, that would be considered a positive and, uh, and a potentially uh, really exciting feature for some potential buyers of your property. Other positive factors that some people look for are the pro proximity to nearby facilities shopping, restaurants, entertainment. If you're in the country, and but you're close to these things, that would be a real positive in many people's eyes. One other thing to consider that, um, that comes up quite a bit, depending on the area that you are working in, are the oil, gas, and mineral rights. Now, in some, uh, in some of these areas, that, that will be a factor. In some areas, it will not. But sometimes the land purchase will not include these rights. And this makes a property less valuable if the rights to the oil, gas, and minerals were sold off to someone else at a previous point. And sometimes these rights are included, but the property may have an existing lease on it. That happens as well. It happens in areas where there's oil and gas um, quite a bit. So the previous owner may have leased out the oil and gas rights to that property, um, and the company came in and set up the um, you know, uh, an oil or gas type uh, operation on it. And then they are paying the landowner some sort of lease payment. So if you're going to buy a property like that, that those would be transferred to you uh, generally if they are transferring the oil, gas, and mineral rights. But it's, uh, it's something to consider. Now, if those oil, if that oil and gas lease is paying a lot of money, that would obviously be considered a big positive if you were getting that transferred to you. Um, and then um, in the mineral rights, you know, oil and gas, that's, that's obviously self-explanatory. But mineral rights, that could be anything from coal, stone, precious metal, metals, anything below the ground that could, that could be mined. Um, could also be various types of, uh, of stone, uh, you know, like a stone quarry or sand, something like that. And uh, these rights are particular to each region. So you'll want to check with the seller and verify if the rights are conveyed and, and verify that through the title. And then always discuss the specific situation with a local land agent or broker until you kind of understand that particular area. But generally, local agents and brokers will be pretty up to speed on that because that's the norm for the area. 
and then they can get you up to speed pretty quickly as well. So we've got some resources below this video and some links to um, some wetlands material, uh, FEMA flood zone information. So definitely check that out if you want to get some um, more insight into what these types of things are as you can be a little bit more knowledgeable on that.